Well, I know that I said that, hey, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow came and went, and I didn't talk to you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever it is you decide to make Big Sky Sports Talk a part of your day. My family and I greatly appreciate it. You found the only podcast in the world completely devoted to the coverage of the four major franchises in one major market, and that's Phoenix, Arizona. We do things a little bit differently. We do it from Big Sky Country, Billings, Montana. We cover ASU football, ASU basketball to go along with it, and it's all presented by the unofficial presenting sponsor of Mooya Billings. So, here's the deal. I um, I posted on my Facebook, at Big Sky Sports Talk, on Facebook, um, that uh, I just made the executive decision because of the week and the weekend that was coming up just, you know, I don't even remember what podcast was my last one, um, but whatever one that was, um that I made the decision that that was going to be the last one for the week. Now I have maybe two hours of stuff and only uh, less than an hour to get it to you. Um, or, well, not really to get it to you, but I'm hoping to get it done before uh, Diamondbacks and um, Dodgers uh, game two. Let me take a drink. Oh, excuse me. I had to get a get something to drink. Have a Milo's sweet tea in my uh, possession right now. But so because of the the weekend, the weekend. So let me try to remember back. The weekend is easier, but the week. Um. Oh, the the week was because. Um, I had uh, was getting ready, um, for. Um, for a conference weekend, um, I want to say my last show was Friday's show, I want to say, or no, Thursday, Thursday, and then I was going to do one later. So, um, it was just a kind of a crazy, um, ending. So Monday... No. Yes. Monday night, um, I didn't do a show because I was invited to go to um, uh, my pastor's house uh, for Monday night football. And, you know, by the time getting done with all that, it was a very long, long game. Tons of penalties between um, the uh, Seahawks and... The Giants, yes. And so that was a long game. So I didn't do it that day. And I, I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna make the executive decision. It was it was at it was Monday night that I made the executive decision that I wasn't gonna do anything for the rest of the weekend. So I do remember. Okay, so I did do a Friday show and hey, I'll I'll talk to you um after the weekend. That's what happened. So um that work week was a short week. Um, but because, um, you know, went up to Kalispell for conference, I wasn't going to do anything, um, while at conference. And so I just decided to take the whole week off, which it was actually much needed. Um, I, I didn't get much more rest 
but the opportunity for rest was greater because I, you know, I wasn't getting ready for a show. Like I said, I put a lot of time and I could always put in more, but I, I, I put a fair amount of time into, uh, doing the show. So I hope you can forgive me for not doing anything for, for a whole week. Um, and so that, that's kind of what it was now, as far as the weekend, um, man, what a, what a weekend it was kind of some ups and downs though. So, um, I left for Kalispell on Thursday, which was the plan, but I, the extra part of the plan was supposed to be with my, my mom and my sister. And that didn't happen. Um, my sister felt like she needed to stay back because my niece fallen, um, just was not doing good in school. Um, and just not caring really. And I know that, you know, shouldn't really, you know, punish my sister, but she's like, I can't let her, you know, I said, okay, you know, I get it. That's fine. Um, she had no reason to really stay back other than that. Like, um, the, the boys would have been fine. Charlie wasn't there. So she was with her mom. So, you know, the boys and slash men, you know, Jeremy, you know, they've been fine. They're like, I don't know why there's like everybody in the house. Why are you leaving? When are you leaving? Why are you, you know, when did this, you know, just like, no, we, we, we bought the tickets a month ago. Like, how, you know, how does this caught, how did this catch everybody off guard? So they would have been fine. The big thing was falling. My mom, I don't know what happened with her. She just forgot. She thought the conference was Saturday, Sunday, but it's weird because on my way back Sunday, she said, Oh, you're already done. And I'm like, yeah, conference was done on Saturday. I stayed for church today. And, and she, I don't know where she was. And she even told me, she was like, I'm sorry, I'm not even going to make it to church tonight. I said, Mom, we don't have church on Sunday nights. We have it on Saturday nights and uh, Sunday morning. And so she was all jacked up. She went to her biological father's, uh, uh, the hospital he was staying in in Portland and she left uh, like Tuesday or Wednesday and was due to be back uh, on Thursday, um, which she didn't. Um, but even if she uh, was, she said, I didn't realize that you were leaving Thursday. I said, yeah, mom, if, if I leave Friday, I have to, we have to leave like seven o'clock and we're, we're just going to get there just, just in time for registration. Um, like we'll check in in the hotel and boom, we got to go, you know, and, uh, um, which I'm fine with doing, but I don't know if you are. She said, no, after driving myself, you know, 12, 14 hours and then getting in your car for another seven, pretty much without having much of a, a rest, that's going to be killer. You know, she's still recovering from the surgery and all that. Um, so, you know, it just wouldn't have been good. So that, that's fine. So I had neither family member um, with me, so I went by myself. But I had a great time. Um, heard from uh, Jordan Hodges, and uh, most, if not any of you guys, won't even know really who he is. But he has a uh, church in Idaho, a big, big church in Idaho. Uh, I can't remember the name of the church. And then, um, you know, Pastor Kevin spoke, who's our lead pastor in Kalispell. 
Um, and then we also heard from a, another pastor that we bring in, I say we, but we as in Canvas bring in, uh, his name is Wes Davis. And he has a, he, he pastors a church in Washington, I do believe. And he's absolutely hilarious. His message was really good, both Saturday uh, uh, night and Sunday morning. Um, worship was fantastic. Uh, it, was, it was good to be there. Did some Ubering while I was up there to make some extra money. And um, just had a, had a really great weekend um, overall. Um, so I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, had a uh, church wrote a a new song, and um, I I would share probably would be fine with sharing. Um, let's see, how can I? I can share a, a a peak of it. I would share the others, but um, they wouldn't. It wouldn't be as as easy. And the others we did for worship were um, songs by you know other other people. But uh, we we did a lot of great stuff. Um, I don't feel like switching, so I'm gonna put my phone up to the mic, which is the least professional way to do it, um, unless I can. Send this uh, to the, um, send it to um, my Google Drive. That will probably be better if I can find it. But uh, it is called um, Bringing His Kingdom. Here we go. There's that. Share. And let's go over to, let's see, more and my drive. Um, let's name it B-R-I-N-G, bringing his I should have been prepared to do this, but I just thought about it just now. Um, and sorry, I keep on moving away from the mic, uh, kingdom, and you can check it out on Spotify if you want, um, there we go, save, and now I can open it up down here, do, 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 do. Google Drive. There we go. My Drive. And let's see. Do, 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 do. Where would that have gone? Upload. Complete. Locate file. Oh, still being uploaded, apparently. Do, do, do. Mm -mm -mm -mm. 
That is so odd. Why can't I find it? I know this is this is like the most boring uh, podcast. Um, you know, podcast stuff. I hate doing this on. Oh, here we go. See if this worked. Um, let's do media player. See if that works. Here's a snapshot of bringing his kingdom canvas worship So there you go. Um, great song, Bringing His Kingdom. You can find it on Spotify. Just uh, Canvas uh, Worship is the artist um, if you want to listen to it. Um, great song. We we did all, a bunch of other stuff too, but you know I'm not. I already bored you enough trying to find it, and I, I don't think I can legally find the other ones. I feel confident that I can share my own church's stuff um, recorded from my phone, <laughs> as, you, as if you can't tell. Audio quality is not great, but it's better than what I thought it was going to be. I, and like we pump it up in in church, like we we uh, yeah we crank it. And uh, but my my phone quality is clearer than most phones. Like if I watch, like I think the same. Let's see. Yesterday, someone was at a concert. Sounded absolutely terrible. Um, I had another friend the same night that we, you know, I was at church. I get back to the hotel and, and um, he was at a, uh, at a, uh, concert as well. It's two different people, two different concerts, two different days. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. So I don't know if it's like how, um, canvas in every church every uh campus mixes um really uh really well um and we're you know not to toot our own horn but we're pretty good at it and it's very cl crystal clear and so i wonder if that has something to do with it i don't know um or maybe just you know android is better i don't know but uh yeah so th there's that um and then the cool thing we did, and it just w would not translate super well over over video. So if you you know you didn't go or didn't see it, then um, you don't don't really know. But we did um, kind of uh, had what we called canvas reels, and had um, five people. 
preach seven minutes of a um, seven minute mini sermons, and it was all on one major topic of the the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And um, we had um, uh, a girl named Tiffany. Uh, she talked about self control, but she preached the topic of self control while in and in an ice bath. So that uh, yeah, pretty, you know, it was all illustrated sermon. So that, that was pretty cool. Um, and then, um, uh, Josh, our, um, Columbia Falls campus pastor preached on joy overflowing and he did a, like a science experiments. Um, he did uh, two of them that are similar and one that is a sl- slightly different, but he talked about how, you know, when you first come to know Christ, you have the abundance and joy and joy overflowing. And it looks like, you know, he's like, it looks like this. And he did as this mixture and, and then this like, uh, uh, foam exploded out of the beaker, not like exploded, but just shot out and like a volcano, um, out of it. And then he talked about how sometimes in life we will go a little, um, you know, life will kind of steal our joy and, and, you know, we allow a bunch of junk in our life that, that robs us of our joy. And, and he did another mixture and it fizzed up, but it didn't really, you know, explode over the beaker. And then he did the other one again. He said, um, but, um, you know, you can get back your joy. And so, you know, um, just kind of talked about that. So his was pretty cool. Um, Another lady, her name is Janelle. She talked about the gift of the spirit of uh, gentleness, and she um, she equated um, gentleness like a horse. And I thought that was pretty cool, interesting um, thing. And they actually had a horse come in. She talked about how horses, being this big mass of animals, if they're wild, they'll be bucking around and running around. And he, uh, she said. Um, but this horse and they brought a horse in through the sanctuary and it was, you know, just calmly with its uh, owner, um, being led around the sanctuary. And, and, and even with like, a, you know, about a thousand people, um, in there never flinched, never bucked, never did anything. So, um, just kind of equated gentleness, uh, to, um, the calm of a horse. And then, uh, Jared, who is my pastor and in, in the uh, campus pastor in, in here in Billings, he talked about peace, and uh, he was set up on stage. He he sat in a uh, lawn chair in in a um like a kid kiddie pool. It was supposed to have like uh, sand in it, and then um, basically he talked about how we a lot of times equate peace to you know being on a vacation on, on a nice vacation and he said his nicest vacation was hawaii and he said yeah but you can go to hawaii you, you put your hawaiian shirt on and for me you know my hawaiian shirt on has snoopy on it and you know and then he uh he said you you put on your sunglasses and your sun hat and, and then he made a joke because he's had cancer twice he said you put on your sun hat because you don't want to get skin cancer and uh as someone that had cancer twice, you don't want to have that again. And uh, you know, a couple of people laughed. And he said, "I apparently people don't know how to laugh at cancer jokes. I don't know." Um, and then uh, he said, 
you know, so your circumstance can be great, you know, while on vacation, uh, your peace is, you know, if you base it on circumstance, um, it can change. And then all of a sudden we had our lights, um, shift a little bit and the, the background behind him went from a beach, calm waves sound, um, coming through the house to a thunderstorm sound. And there was blowers on the stage blowing at him and he, you know, his umbrella, his son umbrella was blowing down and he, you know, he didn't let it go, but he gently set it down and, and you can hear the wind blowing through the mic and it sounded pretty cool. It sounded like a hurricane up there. It was really, really cool. And he talked about how peace is not based on circumstances. We tend to do that, but peace, the peace of the Lord doesn't change the circumstance. It changes your perspective. And uh, he said, you can still have peace in the middle of a storm. So that was pretty good. Um, and then Stephen, the Missoula um, campus pastor, he spoke on just the Holy Spirit speaking into every area of your life. And he he had a um, a helmet and he talked about how hell uh, and I talked about this, not necessarily as far as the Holy Spirit, but just in football. He said in football, you have quarterback one the middle linebacker will also have it and they call it defense but they have the green sticker the green dot on the back of their helmet and and they get the plays called in through the, the speaker in their helmet so they can hear the play and then distribute it and uh he said sometimes the holy spirit speaking in your life can can be like that um uh, but sometimes in the chaos you're gonna have to cup your ears and he said, sometimes you see quarterbacks if they, you know, cup their ears over their ear holes, they're trying to focus in and listen in on the play being called. Sometimes we have to do that in our lives, where we have to shut out the noise around us and listen to Holy Spirit. So it was very good. Um, didn't uh, obviously you can tell we didn't touch on all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but uh, Stephen kind of you know dabbled in a little bit of that. So all of it illustrated stuff. It was really really cool. Uh, five speakers, five communicators on um uh um seven minutes time so 35 minutes it was it was really cool um and uh you know one of my favorite nights that um that we had um just had a lot of fun just you know um the theme being powered up by by mario so it was just it was really really cool really good experience i love going and I'm collecting campus, campus, canvas conference shirts and, uh, and, um, lanyards, um, getting a small collection of that and traveled back, um, went to Columbia Falls for our 11 a.m., stayed for worship and then dipped out so I can, uh, go, um, to Missoula and there wasn't a service to be held, a gathering to be held, but we did have, um, I was going to meet um, Stephen there, but he couldn't make it. And so I just walked around the outside of their building that they're still kind of getting approved on. He said he equated it to the longest ping pong match ever as far as getting things approved through the state and the city and all that stuff. And it's like he, he's like, we'll serve the ball. And it goes over in the net. And then instead of them hitting it, they'll catch it and like hold on to it for a while and then serve it back to us. And uh, so I just kind of prayed over the city and over the people. In fact, um, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to do that right now and 
you don't mind joining me. Um, Father, I thank you for the city of Missoula and, of course, the state of Montana and, and that you are moving. You're u- using the vehicle called Canvas Church. You know, we, we don't want we don't want to make Canvas Church great. We, we want to make you great, and we continue to do so. And, Lord, we pray for the, Missoula, the people of Missoula, the staff that is going to be pastoring uh, and ministering out of that, that, that fantastic building there in Missoula. And we just pray all these things that work out, that the longest ping-pong match in history comes to an end and we can uh, get things going over there. Um, you know, finish the, the, the renovations and finish the things that need to be up to code and everything will go well in your mind and name. We pray. Amen. So, um, I appreciate you guys joining me on that. Um, so I got, uh, f- two hours today that I got to cram in 15 minutes and I, it's not going to happen. So, um, you might be hearing the current Diamondbacks game on during that time, but, we will go ahead and uh, get things started off with the the two-minute warning. So I'm back, and so is the two-minute warning. We'll get that up next on Big Sky Sports Talk. Muya Burgers, Fries, Shakes, and Billings is the unofficial presenting sponsor of Big Sky Sports Talk. There are several Muya locations throughout the United States and a couple of locations internationally. Let's start out with the food. The burgers are fantastic. They have burgers for every lifestyle, vegan, keto, low-calorie, as well as gluten-free. My personal favorite is the cheddar bacon barbecue burger. Their fries are always fresh, and don't forget about the muya sauce. You can get a shake to go along with it. Though the food is good, I always leave satisfied, but their customer service is at the top. Rico... He's the general manager of Muya Billings. He and his staff are top-notch. They are located at 2695 King Avenue West in Billings, Montana. So go see my guy Rico. He'll hook you up and tell him I sent you. Muya Billings, the unofficial presenting sponsor of Big Sky Sports Talk. Well, I'm back, and so is the two-minute warning. This is the beautiful part of the podcast where you give me two minutes, and I give you everything that happened over the weekend. We start things off in Tempe, Arizona. ASU lost to Colorado after leading at the half 17-14 on a last-second field goal. 27-24, excuse me, was the final. Next, we take things to downtown Los Angeles. The Diamondbacks absolutely stomped the Dodgers 11-2. Clayton Kershaw didn't even pitch a full inning. He gave up six hits, six earned runs, and one walk. No strikeouts and only a third of an inning. Merrill Kelly was absolutely fantastic. He went six and one-third of an inning. Gave up only three hits, two walks, and had five strikeouts and no earned runs. Next, we take things to downtown Detroit. The Suns won in overtime, 130 to 126 over the Pistons. The Suns' big three in Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, and uh, Devin Booker all had double figures scoring, but it was Grayson Allen that led the team with 18 points. Next, we take things to Glendale, Arizona and 
The uh, Cincinnati Bengals have never won on the road against the Cardinals until Sunday. The Bengals won 34 to 20. That is your two-minute warning. And so we'll start things off with ASU up next on Big Sky Sports Talk. Well, unfortunately, after leading at the half 17 to 14, as you heard in the two-minute warning, and I'm sorry that that was so rough, um, I the way I wrote it, I write, write down what I want to say, I dictated it into my phone, and I just jumped all over the place. So I had to train my eyes to, and I like to do it chronologically. If I didn't like to do the two-minute warning and then everything I do chronologically, then I would have just been boom, 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 and it wasn't wouldn't have been so jumbled up. And that was the best take I can get um, because of the jumping around. Like, I had to focus my eyes, so I'm sorry that you had to listen through that brutal um, two-minute warning. Um, and, well, you've already listened to, you know, my intro already. That, that was brutal, jumping around trying to find my song and trying to get that uploaded. Um, and I, I realized some of you might not even care about it anyway. But anyway, um, after leading in the half, the uh, uh, Sun Devils lose to Colorado. And it was, it was a well-fought game, but, you know, they lose. And so that, uh, that always stinks. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it happens. Uh, the, uh, starter was Trenton Bourget and, uh, he kind of did everything for a little bit. Um, you know, he, he scored the two yard, uh, touchdown run. And so they are up first and then, um, Colorado answers right back. Um, before the end of the first quarter at 7-7. And then uh, Scadaboo, a one-yard touchdown run. It's 14-7. And then uh, Sanders on a 16-yard run makes it 14-14. And then um, and then uh, ASU with a field goal, 17-14 at the end of the half. And then, unfortunately, Colorado, they just, they did just take off in the fourth. I mean, there was a... Nine-yard pass from Sanders makes it twenty-one to seventeen, and then um, uh, a field goal makes it twenty-four uh, seventeen. Um, the uh, Sun Devils would get another touchdown, tie it up twenty-four uh, twenty-four with uh, fifty seconds remaining. Um, it was a touchdown pass from Trenton Borgay, um, but then a field goal with twelve seconds left. Uh, 43 yards out, 27-24 uh, was the final. Borke, uh, 32-49, uh, 35 yards in the touchdown. Uh, Shador Sanders, 26-42, 239 yards and a score. Scadaboo had a score on 13 carries and 49 yards. Um, Hankerson, 10 carries on 58 yards. Elijah Badger, 12 receptions on 134 yards and Antonio in five receptions, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Um, so that that's how everything went down for ASU. ASU will have um, number seven ranked Washington um, on the 21st. So they'll have a, uh, a bye week. Um, 
uh, going into this this week, and then they'll play the twenty first against Washington. Um, here is uh, Coach Kenny Dillingham um, after Saturday's twenty seven to twenty four loss. Uh, can you walk us through the touchdown drive and then the play that was allowed and subsequent to that? Yeah, the touchdown drive, obviously, a lot of empty, a lot of quick game, and uh, Trenton was just a distributor. Mm -hmm. Our guys were feeling the zones and getting open on some option routes, uh, which was a positive. Uh, ran a wheel to Geo there versus thirds, or uh, my fault, it was their two-man match, whatever, uh, two-eye defense, and uh, got the wheel route one-on-one, -on -one, got it to him, got P.I., and uh, then we finished with a one-on-one fade to the field from FIB, a play we ran earlier that we tried to throw on third down uh, in the, I believe, second or third quarter, and it was incomplete. So uh, it was a good drive. Really proud of those guys for responding. We were in a similar situation last week, and uh, we didn't get that done. So to respond in that scenario and drive down the field was a positive. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, uh, I'd have to go back and watch the tape. It was to the field. I don't know exactly the opposite side of the field from me uh, where I was on. So I'd want to go back and watch the tape to see uh, what happened there on the big play. Michelle Gardner, Arizona Republic. Uh, it did seem like Cam Scadaboo got a lot of touches in the first half. Was he banged up? Were you guys trying to minimize, you know, the bang banging he had the last few games? Yeah, he was, he was out all week. He didn't practice. He was uh, uh, sick and then had a few other uh, banged up injuries. So we were trying to get some of the young bucks running, run, rolling a little bit, and kind of, you know, we couldn't use him as a, as a, you know, the, the lead dog like we could, because uh, obviously he was sick, and then uh, he had a few uh, ailing injuries. Uh, coach Caleb Campetto, uh, Devils Digest coach, you talked about this week about playing to player strengths, and you got Elijah Badger in in space. Uh, Trenton was very distributive with the football. Your defense really emphasized there's presence on the on in the front. Did you would you say that tonight? Although the the outcome isn't what you wanted, that the players and you plan to play their in their to their strengths like you wanted. Yeah, I would say uh, yes. I thought our defense played really well all night. I mean, they held them to 295 yards on 72 plays. Um, we outgained them by 100 yards, and this is kind of what I told our guys. Uh, we were better on third and fourth down situations. Uh, we scored in the red zone, but none of that matters. What matters is when the game's on the line. Uh, what matters are the biggest plays of the game. And the, what really shows up, uh, winning football teams make the plays when the games are on the line. And right now, we're not getting that done. And uh, I got to do a better job as a coach trying to simulate those scenarios. That way, when the game is on the line, right, are we making those plays, and how do we get our guys to make those plays? Because the last two weeks, we've won, we've played winning football. We've won every category, but we haven't won the game, and we really got to look at why and uh, what guys should be on the field when the game is on the line. And that's another thing we got to look at. Hey, Coach. Coach Michael Caratino, Pitchfork Lunch. When you uh, – talking about the defense, obviously early on getting the sacks – you said obviously Shador is going to be tough to handle, but to be able to sack him like that, what do you feel that they were having problem adjusting to with you guys up front just getting the domination like you guys said? Yeah, I mean, they're a five-step team, uh, and we had a good beat on when they were going to five-step 
just in terms of down and distances. And I thought Coach Ward was putting our guys in good situations uh, to attack when they were in their five-step world. So I thought it was good scheme by Coach Ward combined with our guys. We have pretty good rushers, and I thought they did a really nice job uh, pressuring the quarterback. And I know you're not going to tell us everything, but what did you say to Ed after, obviously, a tough call, getting the targeting call on the uh, punt return there? Yeah, I mean, he's not needed, right? Today, we always do a football 101, and our football 101 on Friday before we left was shielding blocks. And then we go and get a blindside block. And uh, just not winning football. That's a great example of not winning football. And you're not going to win games doing things like that. And, uh, you know, it's a good learning experience for them. Uh, but uh, those are critical plays in the game. I mean, we had more personal fouls in this game than all of our games combined. I mean, and we talked about it going into the week that Colorado leads the country in getting teams to create personal fouls against them. And uh, we talked about it Monday, we talked about it on Friday, and uh, we fell right into it. Hey, Coach, uh, early in the fourth quarter, third and six um, from your own 29, uh, you decided to run it there. Um, just what went into that decision to run there and not pass in that situation? We were struggling protecting. So the prior drives, we were struggling. They were in a two Tampa-ish look that they're playing in a lot of third and five pluses. And uh, the prior situations like that, we were struggling. So you get a five-man box. Um, you should be able to bomb it and hand it versus soft box and have a really clean run. Uh, just more of a philosophy thing. You know, in other games, we've done the same thing and been successful in third and long. So knowing we were going to get a soft box and uh, a cloud coverage, we felt like five for five in the box. It's a good opportunity to uh, pop one. Hi, Coach. Uh, Blake Neiman, Cronkite Sports, heading into this bye week after a couple of close losses and knowing that a top 10 team in Washington is on the schedule ahead. What are you looking to get out of this bye week to improve upon and get over that hump? Healthy. Looking to get healthy. I mean, I think we're, we're out nine or 10 starters that we projected to go into the year, and our guys are battling. And that's what I tell them. Nobody cares. But what do I want? <laughs> I want to get some guys back. I want to get healthy. And I want to continue. I want our guys to show up to academics on time. I want them to show up early. I want them to show up to meetings 10 minutes early. I want to do all the little things that are necessary to win. And that's really what I'm looking for. Uh, Sammy Newt, Devil's Digest. Coach, you said earlier this week that the key to creating more turnovers would be up front and creating that chaos. Well, today you guys created a bunch of chaos and still weren't able to turn the ball over. What's the next step in order to – is it just luck? No, I mean, it's just – we're not creating turnovers. We're not, we're, when the ball hits our hands, we don't, we, there's times we don't catch it. And uh, then when the ball does come out, there was a fumble today that we didn't recover on a fourth or a third down sack that they fell on that just kind of oozed out and the old lineman was right there. So they'll come, uh, the turnovers will come. Unfortunately, they haven't come yet. And uh, you know, I think we're dead last in the country or we're, we're definitely low in the country and uh, turnovers created and our defense is playing great. But uh, that is a category we got to get better at. Offense protected the football today, which is great uh, from that standpoint. Hey, guys, Shortenham, Sports 360 AZ. Um, when you're playing winning football, but the wins aren't coming, I'm sure there's a, a frustration that can happen. How are you guys keeping, how are you keeping these guys up and together through the bye week? Yeah, that's easy. I mean, up and together? Are you competitive? I mean, or for lack of a better word, are you a loser? 
Like, are you going to go compete and go get better, or are you going to quit? It's very, very simple. So in terms of getting guys motivated to play, I mean, if we have to get guys motivated to go practice and motivated to go play, this is not the place for you, right? Like I said, I've been in this exact scenario. Year one, taking over a program. You just can't find out how to win. Don't know how to do it yet. You're trying to find a way. Every single time there's an opportunity, you find a different way to lose, right? When it clicks, we're playing winning football, but we're not winning, which means we're very, very close, and you don't know when it's going to click. You don't know. But when it clicks, we're ready for it because we're playing significantly better football than we did at the start of the year. And I think for the guys, it's are you going to continue to compete or are you going to quit? And there's really only one option. <laughs> Go back to work and you compete to get better, 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 better. And eventually, right, the bamboo that nobody can see is going to grow. Very simple. You just can't see it. But the growth is happening. I always love how a matter of fact he is on, on stuff like that. And, you know, my inclination that if there are guys that are quitting, they're not playing. They might not even be on the team. Kenny Dillingham is not afraid to do that. Um, and I think he's that point blank because just kind of sending the message to the, the players that, hey, if you aren't, you know, playing uh, or competing you're not playing or not even on the team. So that's the situation. And he, you know, he's no nonsense guy. And, and they have, they, they played, uh, defense has been good. They've held their, their opponents, uh, pretty well. They, they, they're getting better on offense. Uh, just hasn't clicked. And, you know, hopefully it does. You know, they, they always seem to play uh, UW pretty tough. Um, I think this bye week is very critical and uh, at a great time uh, for some guys to get healthy, some get, for them to do a lot of work um, because they still need a lot of work, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Hey, Kenny, Chick Seymour, Son of a Source. Uh, there was a lot of openings in the passing game today. Trent was getting the ball out to the, you know, play, uh, to the pass catchers. What were you guys kind of seeing in that, and what do you th feel like kind of contributed to some of that success? Yeah, uh, obviously, right now we're struggling running the ball in general. So uh, even tonight, I mean, just looking at the numbers, I think we're under four yards a carry, right, which is, you know, that's not, six, you know, in today's day and age in football, that's not going to lead to many extended drives because of those, there's just as many zeros and ones. So it was, how do we play to our players' strengths? You know, I've always been a guy that runs the ball, but I'm not going to be stubborn at the same time. And right now our players' strengths is the edge is getting the ball in space, right? Trenton is facilitating in quick game. Uh, O-line, it's, you know, get the ball out quick and protect us a little bit. You know, Sean was in there as a true freshman battling his butt off. Kudos to him. I mean, there was a time we started the second half. There was a time in the second half where we're out there on offense and there's three true freshmen on the field. Right, and I'm like, guys, that's pretty cool. We're in, we're in a game versus a really good football team with three true freshmen on the field on offense right now, right? And I think that's really why we are playing the style of ball we are on offense is it just fits our strengths. Uh, Coach, um, when you come down to the end there and it's, you know, three minutes to go and you score a touchdown that fast, um, how do you – get your guys, your defense back on the field that fast and just like trying to, you know, get that stop. You weren't able to do that today, but what do you have to do in the future to just 
get your guys to get back on the field that quickly to get that stop that you need at the end of the game? Yeah, I think just understanding situations of there's 40 seconds left. Uh, they have two timeouts. Their field goal kicker has struggled with long field goals. So they're going to have to go 50 yards-ish, 45, 50 yards, that if we keep everything in front of us, uh, we get one sack, which we've got all night, make them drive the field patiently, uh, that, that we could have a chance to go into overtime. So it's more situational awareness uh, in terms of what we need to do in those two-minute scenarios with how much time's on the clock. Yeah, Coach, kind of building off Jordan's question, um, there's a lot of guys after a loss like this want to go get after it. You, they want to go to the weight room, and there's some guys that just want to reflect, and there's some guys that just need to eliminate the football for a, for a night. But what has been the learning experience for you as a head coach to kind of gather the guys? And you said if you don't want to show up for practice and don't be here, but what has the learning experience been like on how to kind of facilitate yourself and a lot of those roles for your players and kind of, hey, starting Sunday or Monday, it's, it's, it's time to get after it, even in a bye week? Yeah, I think that's just, you know, leadership is uh, example-driven. I could get up there and say whatever I want to say. If I don't show up with an attitude to get better, if I don't show up and show them the mistakes that I made in the game, right, I just show their mistakes and I act like I'm perfect, what kind of leader am I? So I think just showing back up Monday and showing them how we can improve – uh, with an attitude of time to get better. That's the only way, is you lead by example. And I think guys just want to see the example, and they'll follow. And I think our team uh, has some guys who do leave, do lead, and have some guys that are competitive. And uh, we're going to just go back to work. Jonah Krell, Jonah Krell, Cronkite Sports. Uh, there wasn't a ton of Jalen Conyers tonight. Do you have an update on what he was going through? Yeah, he missed Wednesday and Thursday practice. He was sick. So he was out Wednesday and Thursday, and just hard to play in the game, you know, when, when you're out two days of practice, uh, when we were doing a lot of shifts and motions and some unique things offensively. Uh, Kenny, uh, you had more inside 20 pins in the punt game than the whole season, uh, and for a large stretch of the game, you, you won the field position battle. Um, can you just speak to that and also maybe the return that they had? Yeah, uh, obviously that was great being able to pin them. We missed an opportunity on one. They said we were didn't have five guys, had five guys in the backfield. Uh, I'd have to go watch the tape on that because I thought both our guys stepped up on the line on, on Scott's first boom or first uh, big punt. Uh, but that was huge uh, for us to change the game there. I thought our, I mean, I thought we punted the ball extremely well. I think the combination of offensive punt, I think Scott's punt was 53 yards, his one, which flipped the field, and our others were 41.7. Uh, so that was huge. Uh, for us, but uh, and in terms of the huge punt return, I mean, we had four dudes down there. We just, you know, lost leverage on the guy. But we had, we were in pre perfect position, just had lost leverage. We got to make sure we go back and coach and do more drills that emphasize keeping leverage, uh, especially when you have four guys up there. We did them in full camp in terms of creating a V when you, when you attack the guy two yards behind him, two yards outside. We almost all got on the same level. And you wanted to create a V when you're attacking a punter in that scenario, not a straight line. So maybe we got to go back to the fundamentals this by week and uh, do some more fundamental drills to get that fixed. Because that was a huge play in the game. So uh, you mentioned the penalties and, and how Colorado draws a lot of them. Was there something specific that they were doing, or was it on your end? And, and do you think that you know your guys held your emotions in check against you know such an anticipated game? What, oh, what nothing. Nothing they do. Those guys, those guys played a good game uh, uh, for them. They coached a good game. 
Uh, they got their guys playing really hard. Uh, it just came down to, you know, we made stupid decisions, and I'm going to have to go back and watch some of those to see what, what they are because I didn't really see all of them. I saw ads, but I didn't. I saw BJ's, uh, but where, you know, said he tackled him to the ground or took him to the ground. Uh, but other than that, I got to go back and see some of those personal fouls. Uh, Andrew Lowski, House of Sparky. Um, what was, where was the creativity for that um, touchdown play for Trenton Burgett, the uh, formation on that, then you guys previewed it later in the game? Um, I haven't really seen anything like that. Where did that creativity come from? Well, we're struggling running the ball on third and one, fourth and one. So let's move everybody away and run the ball. That was literally the thought process behind it was, you know, we're struggling, like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right, isn't the answer. So, like, we get paid to coach, so let's coach and let's be creative. And it's, uh, it's not conventional. Uh, it's not, you know, what you necessarily want to do, to be honest. But sometimes you got to be creative. Coach, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, Charlie, with the ball, but this performance alone from the, the offensive line, I mean, obviously guys staying out there working together, like you said, three freshmen, but just your overall thought from just their whole performance from beginning to end of this game. Yeah, I thought our O-line battled. I mean, we were really going in with five and a half, six guys that we wanted to play in the rotation, which is, you know, you want to play eight normally in rotation, but we're going in with five guys, and the sixth guy didn't practice, so he was just kind of helping us out and battling Cade, and I was pleased with how they played. I mean, we gave up a few sacks, but I was really pleased with the way those guys battled. I mean, those guys, the I mean, they're they're battling. I mean, Leaf, Leaf was sick all week. Uh, Leaf is battling his own injuries, and uh, he's going out there and playing really well and playing at a high level. I mean, having a true freshman in there at guard, uh, we moved a guard out to tackle, uh, who practiced all fall camp at guard, is now our starting tackle. Uh, and it's just, uh, I'm proud of the way those guys are battling. And uh, that's just all you can all you can ask for them. Uh, Coach, HouseSparky.com, Matt Venezia. Um, you've talked about the, the bamboo that you're building, uh, you know, throughout the young part of your career here at ASU. Back-to-back uh, -back home sellouts, I think, for the first time since 2007. You've spoken it into existence, but how relieving is it to see it happen that this place gets filled up for some of these big events? Yeah, I mean, we just got to continue to do it. I mean, I think the last two games here, uh, I would hope the fans uh, could not only see the growth of the program and the direction we're heading, uh, but they can see the fight of our guys, and they can see how it's an advantage to have them here. They can see how college football is fun when it's a sold-out crowd, that this is a great environment that we can create here, and that if everybody who showed up the last two weeks shows up again, we can create another really exciting environment, another competitive advantage, and uh, we will win football games. We will win a lot of football games. There is zero doubt in my mind that we're going in the right direction. There is zero doubt in my mind uh, that we're going to win at a really, really high level here, and I'm really excited for it. Uh, but the times of when that's going to happen, that's just going to happen when it happens. And uh, so I commend the crowd, commend the fans. I appreciate it. And let's continue to show the support of our guys. I said before the season, uh, through the good and the bad, our guys need the support. Our guys need our fan base. Our guys need uh, butts and seats. Uh, now more than ever, they got to know when they take the field that it still matters. They got to know more than ever 
uh, that they have the support of the fan base to build this thing the right way. And uh, we're getting close, but we're not there yet. Here Cronkite Sports, Coach, throughout the season, you've been very aggressive at times. You've talked about your philosophy with fourth downs, and we've seen the creativity that you've used in certain plays. Was there ever a thought on your end to go for two after you guys scored that touchdown, or was it was playing for overtime the goal? Yeah, no, that was never a thought. Being at home, uh, and then with 40 seconds left in the game, uh, you actually increase intensity. You increase the aggressiveness of an offense. So if you go for two and get it, uh, they're going to be more aggressive. So statistically, you don't want them to be more aggressive. So if they were to get into a fourth and two scenario on the minus 42, you've enticed them to now go for that if you have a one-point lead instead of a tie game. If there would have been 15 or 20 seconds left, uh, there would have been deeper thought. But with 40 seconds left, I'm not, I don't want to entice a more aggressive mindset on offense uh, in which if the field goal would still win the game, I'd rather entice if we get them to a fourth down a punt scenario, take it to overtime. Um, and then the same token, they've had, you know, unfortunately we had a punt blocked. I felt the dude was offsides on the on the punt block on the field goal block. They had they have, they've had two field goal blocks uh, this year, so I felt like that was an advantage for us. So if we got into an overtime game, I felt like that was a something that could show up for us was the kicking game back and forth and the field goal trading field goals was advantage of us. Uh, obviously, we got a field goal block today. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and see if that guy was offsides because I felt like he was offsides, and that was a critical moment in the game. But we still have to do a better job stepping and punching at the wing. I like that he continues to talk about how fan engagement is so important. It's something that I've been on the whole time. Students, players, they want to see fans. And I'm so pumped that if you live in Phoenix, if you live in Tempe or, or the surrounding areas, that you are going and supporting these these kids. And that that's absolutely awesome. Absolutely awesome. I like his deep dive there uh, on going for two that, that you know entices the next team to be more um, more aggressive. And you know whether they're better than you or not, you don't want them to have to be more aggressive because shoot, you might not be able to stop it. So that that's basically what what he was getting, and I really like that that deep dive thought um, because some people would argue, man, if they had gone for two, uh, then then Arizona State likely wins. But then again, remember their aggressiveness is not you know hey, well they just went for two, they got it. We have to score. Um, now their thought process is, hey, we just have to get a field goal. Um, but if you're Arizona State, knowing that they just have to get a field goal, then then your aggressiveness is, hey, we can't let them get a field goal. So I think it kind of matches in your favor, and that's kind of what he was uh, getting at. Um, we'll go ahead and get uh, into Diamondbacks uh, up next. They won, and they're playing right now. Um, so we'll go ahead and do that right right up next on Big Sky Sports Talk. D-backs won game one, 11 to two, and they are winning right now, three to nothing. And uh, Zach Gallen is going to be on the mound, but he hasn't been on the mound yet. So that's where we stand right now. Um, as you heard in the uh, two-minute warning, um, that the Diamondbacks stopped the uh, the 
Dodgers, and um, like I said, it, it not even a full inning uh, from um, Clayton Kershaw, and uh, that that's that's got to be heartbreaking. Um, I felt like that if the Diamondbacks can win Game One, and pretty decidingly, they would probably win in four. With the lead right now, um, they could sweep. <laughs> That's just kind of you know I don't, I don't I I hate to go there, D-backs fans, but um, because you know I I don't want to sound like a too big of a homer, but they they could. But Merrill Kelly, he's the winning pitcher. He goes goes uh, six and a third, only gives up the three hits, no earned runs, five strikeouts, two walks. Clayton Kirkshaw, uh, only a um. Uh, a third of an inning, six hits, six earned runs, uh, walked one, no strikeouts, uh, an ERA of one sixty-two is is how they did it. I don't know why you know how they did it like that. It's weird. That's what it says. You go to ESPN, one sixty-two, um, and then uh, Sheehan uh, pitched two and two thirds, gave up uh, three more runs. Miller didn't give up any. Um, and then uh, Grove gave up another one. Uh, Vesalia gave up another one. Ferguson didn't give up any. But for the Diamondbacks, it was um, Merrill Kelly, like I said, with the win. Um, Joe Mantiply, two-thirds of an inning, uh, struck out one. Um, Miguel Castro um, gave up the only two runs. Pitched one inning, one hit. Two earned runs, two walks, and a strikeout has an ERA of ten this postseason. Then that's that's uh, what they're doing right now. Frias one uh, third, no one 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 third, one full inning, uh, a strikeout. His ERA for this postseason is zero. And you know I'm jacked up for the win, but I'm also upset. And if you saw my my video on on uh, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and YouTube at Big Sky Sports Talk for all of those, you can find it, that I, I was pumped up about the win, but I'm upset about the uh, Miguel Castro. Why, you know, the the D-backs, D and, and this was something that, that uh, Burns and Gambo even talked about, well, we'll feel better about Castro if we pitch him earlier in relief instead of later. And and knowing that, and, and that being the plan, he still stunk it up. He got better of late, but he still stunk it up no matter where you pitched him. And, you know, obviously it was uh, Gambo's like, you know, I don't want him out of here. I don't know why Miguel Castro is still here. Um, and I'm frustrated just like he was because I hope that uh, that Tory Lavella doesn't do that again. I don't care. You know, like I said, you, you came out and said, hey, you know, I think it would be better for Castro if we pitch him earlier. They go do it in the postseason, they pitch him later. He gives up uh, the two runs, gives up an opportunity for eleven to nothing shutout, um, but there's my rant. It's, it's it's so frustrating, and you know we'll see what Lavella does from here on out. Cattel uh, Marte one one for five, Corbin Carroll two for five and a home run, Tommy Fan four for five and a home run as a DH. Christian Walker one for three, Moreno two for five and a home run, Lourdes Gurriel one for five, uh, Alec Thomas one for three and a home run. Uh, Evan Longoria, 1 for 4. Um, and Perdomo, 0 for 4. Uh, Diamondbacks, 
uh, scored in the uh, six in the first, seven. No, hold on. Um, three more in the second. Uh, one more in the seventh, and another uh, in the in, in the eighth, and finally, uh, Will Smith tripled and Betts scored. Betts and uh, Freeman scored eleven to two. Uh, here is uh, the recap. Uh, for, uh, courtesy, and I didn't didn't do um sound credits, but the ASU was um a Sun Devil Source. Uh, Diamondbacks is going to be dbacks.com. Uh, all of it. We had Toiler Vela and Zach Gallen. Um, and then uh, Arizona Sports, their YouTube page. Um, talking about the D-backs, two different topics there. Um, and then we have uh, Sun's YouTube page uh, on Frank Vogel. And then uh, azcardinals.com for the, the rest of it, AZ, uh, for the Cardinals. But uh, anyway, here is from dbacks.com the recap of uh, the game from the other night. Coming to you live from Dodger Stadium as we get ready for game one of the National League Division Series between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the National League West champion Los Angeles Dodgers. For the Diamondbacks, they are fresh off their two-game sweep over the Milwaukee Brewers in the first round of the National League Wild Card Series. The Dodgers will send future Hall of Famer Clayton Kershaw to the mound. Another sparkling campaign, though it was one that was filled with injury. He only made 24 starts. He went 13-5, posted a 2.46 ERA, and since coming off the injured list, he has been pitching in some phenomenal form. His 39th postseason game that he'll pitch in and the 32nd start of his playoff career for Los Angeles. Switch hitter Cattell Marte steps in. Hit 276 for the season. Off-speed pitch, laced in the left center field. Outman on the run, misjudged it, and it pops out of his glove. And here's Marte sprinting for second and diving in. Well, Bob Outman, who has been outstanding in center field all season long, he's got to have the jitters also, right? First batter up in his first postseason and juggles this ball, not able to hold on to it. Not to start, Kershaw is looking for it. And it brings up Corbin Carroll. Carroll is four for seven with two home runs against Clayton Kershaw. Ball hit through the middle. Marte around third. He's going to score. And the Diamondbacks, who had to come from behind in both games in Milwaukee, jump in front here at Dodger Stadium. And they're a young rookie who's just had one of the finest seasons. Stolen bases, slug, defense. Gets them on the board with a single up the middle. And now Tommy Pham. Pham is a 10-year veteran with his seventh big league club. Line to left, a base hit. Carroll stops at second. Three straight hits by the D-backs to open the game off Kershaw. All the balls hit, too. Bob, right on the nose by the Diamondbacks, who have come out and have come out very aggressive against the great Kershaw. Now Christian Walker, five career home runs off Kershaw. His 14th pitch of this inning is driven to deep left. Back, way back, and off the wall. One run is home as Carroll sprints for the plate, and they'll have second and third with a 2-0 lead, and Kershaw is yet to retire a hitter. Walker was a little out in front of it, but he's so strong, and he's able to hit it, even with that top spin against the base of the wall in left field. Before Peralta could get to it, it was a great read by both base runners. Now Gabriel Moreno, the catcher, conked on the head by the backswing of Bryce Terang of the Brewers in game one of that series. 
High fly ball to deep left field. Forget about it. It's gone. A disastrous start for Clayton Kershaw. Moreno hit only seven during the regular season. Put a major charge into that one. And Gabby just hammered that ball. Five up, five runs in. It doesn't get any better than that. Goodbye. Adios. Sayonara. Five-nothing D-backs, and every D-back who has faced Kershaw has delivered a hit, and they've all been hit hard. Now the batter is Gurriel. Still nobody out. Hit to short. Rojas has it. There's the first out. Alec Thomas hit just 230, but he had a home run in game two in Milwaukee that started the D-backs comeback in that game. And he walks Thomas. And that indicates that Kershaw just is not on his game to walk this guy. And if you're Dave Roberts and you're taking out one of the kings of the game, you know what your team has done against Merrill Kelly. How far do you let it go? Evan Longoria celebrating his 38th birthday today. And Longoria slams one toward the gap in left center field and out. And dives but can't get it. It will go to the wall. Thomas on his way to third and being waved home. It's a double for Longoria. The peg to the plate is late. And it's 6-0 Diamondbacks. Roberts comes to get Kershaw. He's had a rough time before in the postseason. This has to be the worst of all those outings. If a picture tells a thousand words, maybe a thousand is insufficient in this case. Emmett Sheehan on the mound for the Dodgers. His debut, he threw six shutout innings against the Giants. They'll need that kind of effort here tonight. First man he'll face is the switch hitting shortstop, Geraldo Perdomo. Swing and a miss, strike three. So Sheehan retires the first man he faces. Great life on his fastball and an excellent changeup for the New York native. Going through the order the second time right now. Yep. See if Marte can drive him in. Ripped, gloved by Freeman. Terrific play, takes it himself to put a merciful end from the Dodgers' perspective to the Arizona first. And making his major league debut here this evening on the mound for the Diamondbacks, it is right-hander Merrill Kelly. Now Kelly has had his struggles against the Dodgers, not just in 2023, but throughout his career. This is shaping up as an unhappy 31st birthday for one of the game's great players, Mookie Betts. Got him looking. Mookie is hopping mad as he turns toward the dugout. Freddie Freeman hit 331 with 29 homers and 102 driven in. Hit hard, gloved by Walker, gets to his feet and shovels it to Kelly to retire Freeman. Now Will Smith. The Dodger catcher hit 261 with 19 home runs. There's a base hit. Smith rounds first, but down six, he'll stay there. Now Muncy stepping in, the cleanup hitter tonight. Eighth in the league with 36 home runs. He knocked in 105. The Dodgers, of course, had four batters. Oh, there's a terrific diving snare by Christian Walker at first base. Corbin Carroll, who singled and scored a run in the first. A high drive to deep right field. This ball is gone, and I mean long gone. The minute it left the bat, you knew there was no way the ballpark would hold that one. He now has been on base eight times in two games and two innings in the postseason. That's the first out. Well, you got a couple guys on now. Lourdes grounded to short, number six hitter. He made the first out of the ball game. Here's a line drive, another base hit for the D-backs. Lourdes Goriel comes through, another run crosses the plate, and it's eight to nothing. But now with the bases juiced, and you got Longoria up. A high fly ball to deep right field. Hayward goes back to the edge of the track to make the catch. It'll plate another run. So a sack fly for Longoria. And it's nine zip. Two on one out now for Will Smith. 
Smith lifts one to deep right. Back goes Carroll. Back to the warning track in front of the wall. He's got it. Rojas tags and takes third. Now here's Muncie. Line to first in his first at-bat. First and third, two out. Bouncing ball. Walker's got it. Muncie barely gets out of the box. Unassisted put out. Merrick Kelly has a, a cushion to work with where he can just challenge hitters. So he has a cushion as an understatement. And that's the first out of the fourth. Now Jason Hayward coming up. Hayward strikes out. He's over two on the night. Now here's David Peralta, former Diamondback, who doubled his first and only time up tonight. Got him looking. Back-to-back strikeouts, four for the game. Now with two out, Betts took a called third strike and has popped to short. Swing and a high fly ball right field, playable for Carroll, and he will make the catch, and the Dodgers are done in order in the bottom of the fifth. Eight in a row set down by Kelly. He's retired nine of the last ten. There's two out. Now Max Muncy, lined out, grounded out. Muncy grounds it to first, should end the inning. Walker will take it to the bag himself, and that'll do it for the Dodgers in the sixth. Merrill Kelly from the third inning retires the last 11 Dodgers in a row. Alec has walked twice, scored a run, he flied out to right field. Here's a drive to deep right center field, and it was worth the wait for Alec Thomas. He earned that one, fouled 11 of them off before finding one that was completely to his liking and sending it out of here. And it's 10-0 Arizona. Martinez takes a four-pitch walk to begin the seventh. Second walk that Kelly has given up. Now here's Hayward over two. Swing and a miss. Hayward down on strikes. Kelly gets his fifth strikeout. Terrific outing for Merrill Kelly. Fam looking for a fourth hit here. Tommy's been on five times in three games. Down the right field line toward the foul pole. Hayward in pursuit, lunging into the stands. And does he come back with the ball? He does not. Home run. Well, the first three homers tonight for the D-backs were blasted. This one sliced down the right field line over the low wall just inside the foul pole to make it 11 to nothing. And it's a four-hit night for Tommy Pham. Yeah, what a night for Pham. Castro now with two on for Smith. Smith tonight has a hit. He's one for three. At first, make it. Somebody's going to be a third now. That ball into the corner. Betts around third, heading for the plate. Freeman right behind him. Smith sprinting for third. He's got a triple, and the Dodgers are on the scoreboard. Two up, two down to the ninth inning. Here is Hernandez, who came on as a pinch hitter. Little squibber to the right side, gloved by Walker. He shovels it over to Frias, who works a very tidy bottom of the ninth. And that is that as Kike Hernandez is the last out. They take a 1-0 series lead in the National League Division Series over the Dodgers. What a fantastic game for the D-backs. I mean, they came out of the shoot like they were ready to play in this game. They pitched well. They hit well. Everything went really good, really well for the Diamondbacks. And, you know, they're kind of, kind of, kind of playing with house money, if you will. I mean, they, they you know, my... They're exceeding anybody's expectation right now. Absolutely exceeding it. Um, and like I said, my only bummer was that Miguel Castro let in the two runs. Um, and that you know, they 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 were playing as if they had nothing to lose. Playing, uh, you know, the Dodgers kind of looked like they were they you know that they had been off for a while. The Diamondbacks have essentially been. Uh, uh, playoff atmosphere since sep- you know September, mid September, you know, pretty much or beginning of September, you can argue. And they they had played, you know, they they had swept uh, the um, Milwaukee Brewers while 
Dodgers were sitting there resting. You think the advantage would be the Dodgers, but sometimes too much rest is is not good. Uh, the Dodgers rested for longer than they would um, the All Star series, and you have to wonder if that made a a big uh, big deal. Uh, Dan and Vince, um, the the they they talk about the topic: Can the D backs dethrone the Dodgers for the NL West supremacy? Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley Blast. I have been blessed to attend the 2001 World Series, the 2009 Super Bowl, and the 2021 NBA Finals. All of them were hugely important, deeply impactful sporting events that have shaped Arizona's collective psyche. But I am not sure I've ever had more unexpected pleasure or unmitigated glee than I did in game one of the NLDS Saturday in Los Angeles. The Diamondbacks demolished the Dodgers. They annihilated the Dodgers. They emasculated the Dodgers. Every ball hit off Clayton Kershaw sounded like cannon shots. Home runs from Gabby Moreno and Corbin Carroll felt like haymakers to a heavyweight opponent who was already cowering on the road. It was nine zip after two innings, an exquisite exorcism of all the horrors and nightmare fuel that has gone down in Dodger Stadium in years past. Now, there is a possibility that beatdown might be Clayton Kershaw's final time on the mound, and isn't that something? Now, I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm kind of afraid of the clapback, to be honest. I feel like Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, after they've taken a baby T-Rex from its mother, knowing that ugly retaliation is just around the corner. Or maybe in our wildest dreams, Saturday represented a long-awaited shift, the day the Dodgers stopped being a juggernaut and became a bloated and overrated and highly vulnerable to a bunch of audacious young players in Arizona where the once mighty Dodgers were no match for the Tory Lovello party train. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. D-backs, Dodgers, you want to go to the game Wednesday? Arizona Sports D-backs playoff chaos ticket giveaway. David Lasher didn't call in, Bick. We're one for two, but that means we got to open up the phone lines to somebody else. What, what's a good caller number here? Uh, caller number seven. Caller seven right now that? for Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll. 602. 260-9870 is the phone number. Looking for caller number seven to jump into the spot that David left open for you. Qualify for a game two, uh, games three tickets uh, Wednesday night at Chase Field. And there's a ground ball. Diving play, Walker. He'll flip to the pitcher covering. What a way to end the game. Outstanding defensive play. Walker to free us to get Hernandez in the ball game. And an 11-2 Diamondback win, Tom Candiotti. They take a 1-0 series lead in the National League Division Series over the Dodgers. Greg Schulte with the uh, final call from L.A. on Saturday night. 11-2. You heard that right. And I shared my experience of watching the game. Just kind of jaw dropped with <laughs> the way... The Diamondbacks were putting on a, a laser show. You mentioned the hard-hit balls. Uh, four of the top five hardest-hit balls in that game belong to the Diamondbacks. The two hardest-hit balls in the game, Cattell Marte, including 115.7 miles per hour 
on that leadoff double. I agree with you. Should have been a should have been an error. But Outman was kind of discombobulated from the ball the oh, time that ball was up. hit. It just and it he, completely ate it, him up. He admitted afterwards too. Like my nerves got the best of me there. And, and and that's part of the enjoyment to me. You can't take that out of the element that that team is the team that was quivering. Mm-hmm. And and the first swing of the game, Cattell Marte was swinging from his shoes. I'm like, oh, okay, swing harder. Yeah, sometimes, and he did. Sometimes he does that, and you're like, stop <laughs> trying to swing so hard. Cattell Marte, it, it worked. love that guy. It, it worked on Saturday. Oh, yeah, it did. It did. And again, I, I just can't get back past the... The catharsis of it all, the the feeling of it all, it was unlike anything I think I've experienced. And we've experienced a lot of highs and a lot of lows in this sports town over the past 25 years. We don't need to, to go through a complete recitation, but I'm not sure just in terms of gleefulness, in just bathing in the misery of Los Angeles, I, I right into my veins, Vinny, yeah. right into my veins. But this journey it, it it says something if the i'm not i'm not counting anything over it would be foolish to do so but this would be huge moving forward for this organization too because regardless of any success the diamondbacks have you hold it up against what the dodgers have done not only big picture but also head to head i mean the diamondbacks were 5 and 24 in 29 games at dodger stadium since the beginning of 2019, mm-hmm. five and 24. Mm-hmm. That is windshield and bug type of stuff right yes. there. Yes, it is. So to, to start out with a, a, a series win like that really plants a good seed. Now you got Zach Gallen on the mound. Uh, Zach Gallen had um, a very strong performance in his first postseason start against the Brewers. Didn't start out that way. 32 pitches in the first inning and then settled down. And he talked about, hey, what, what did you learn from from that experience in Milwaukee? It's been a season-long kind of just, I guess you could say, grind of just trying to, you know, make sure that feel, you know, feels how I want it to. Um, but, it, I mean, it's you can you can bring so many things into the game, but, you know, there's nothing you can replicate to get out there with the adrenaline. Um, burns on base, guys standing in the box, stuff like that. Um, but I felt all right going into the game in Milwaukee. Felt like just some timing things clicked. Um, so that's kind of what my focus is right now. And that's one of the things that I just think is huge, uh, you know, zooming out from this game, is how a pitcher feels going into the game. Mm-hmm. Clayton Kershaw was bombarded with questions after that game about, hey, how'd how's the feel? shoulder? How'd you how'd feel? feel? And he's like, I felt fine. Yeah. I just did, I didn't pitch well. I yeah. felt, felt great. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, yeah, it's like, please tell us something is bothering you. Yeah. yeah. Please tell me you weren't just that bad on yeah. a big stage. Right. But he didn't attempt to do that. So what happens if the Dodgers have to give him the ball again? Yeah, right? And, you know, I mean, again, this is just... Yeah, that would it, be that would be game four, which could be a, a, could be a, a clincher either way. either way. Either way. So, uh, again, so I think tonight is a monstrously huge baseball game. But, man, this series could not have started any better for the Diamondbacks. Talk about ga- – and to have Bob Costas doing the game. Yes. Added some gravitas to it. I didn't see the open to the telecast, but people were telling me that there, there was a disdain in Bob Costas's voice about that very subject we talked about, that the Diamondbacks were even in the playoffs with an 84-win record. Really? I didn't hear it. I, 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 see, I, it's I, not archived, so I can't go back and watch it. I didn't. Are you f- kidding me? <laughs> That's what I say to that. But Bob Costas is kind of like at this he's point of his career. He's yeah, a traditionalist, yeah. and he he's not afraid to say what what's on his mind. Right. Certainly, right. But 
he answered the, the, they answered his questions too. That was it was that fantastic. was an epic playoff it was, it, beatdown. It, re- it really was. And we and, have gone this far without talking about Alec Thomas at the home run. After fouling off 12 straight pitches. Oh, epic at bat. Epic at that bat. That was a record. We all saw history when that happened, too. The um, I'm glad you brought him up because when when Tori Lovello now and other people are st- starting to use this word connected, it's a, this is something you've heard very recently in the last 10 days or so. W- what I think it honestly means is there's more than just one young player playing well right now. Uh-huh. And there was a time when that wasn't. Remember there was a time during the dip in the season when we thought, oh, great, what do we have out of this year? We've got one good young player. This great youth movement, this great, you know, season of re- renewal. Mm-hmm. All we got is Corbin Carroll. And, and that that's what we talked about during that 7-25 and 25 stretch. Yeah, and now? And, and now now they've kind of circled back, and these kids are all kind of firing together. Yeah, it's amazing. That's uh, great. Arizona Connected Sports. team is a dangerous team. Arizona Sports Playoff <laughs> Chaos. Listen for your name all day as we're giving you the chance uh, to win lower-level tickets to see the D-backs, Dodgers this Wednesday. Text PLAYOFFS to 620-620 to register your name. That's PLAYOFFS to 620-620. Well, um, after only one and two-thirds, Bobby Miller, the uh, starter for the Dodgers, and 52 pitches is done. Um, The Dodgers can't afford to go deep into their bullpen again. But it looks like it's going to be, as of right now, inevitable. And so that is already advantage D-backs, big time. Still three to nothing. Um, Zach Gallen, he only went 15. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking looking pretty good. Um, like I said, D-backs playing with, uh, with house money. Thanks to the Arizona Diamondbacks. We don't even have to start the show with the loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. We can start the show with the Arizona Diamondbacks beating the L.A. Dodgers in L.A. in game one of the division series 11-2, Tim. It was 5-0 before an out was recorded in that game. Yeah, the D and D-back stands for dominating. You know, I I had a chance on Friday, Luke, to to sit in here with Wolf and, and fill in for you, and we were... We were talking about everything that stacked up against the Diamondbacks in game one, right? You had Clayton Kershaw, who had literally owned the D-backs, especially at Dodger Stadium, right? I think his his ERA was about one point something, uh, 1.60 actually in 21 career starts. Then you had Merrill Kelly, 0-11 in his career <laughs> against the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw would be making his 32nd postseason start. Merrill Kelly only a year younger than Kershaw, 34 years of age, would be making his first postseason start. Uh, the, the, the D-backs were 5-24 and 24 at Dodger Stadium in their last two uh, seasons. And, and so everything pointed to a Dodger victory. And I joke with Wolf, I go, you know what this means in sports? D-backs are going to win. Now, I wasn't totally serious. What I mean by that was half, <laughs> half joking, right? But lo and behold, I mean, the D-backs go out there and they absolutely shell shock Clayton Kershaw. I mean, here's the one thing, though, and I did say this in all seriousness on Friday. The one thing about Kershaw, when it comes to Kershaw in the postseason, you talk about a box of chocolates, right? You yeah, don't you know. Don't, yeah. You don't know what you're going to get. Just I a, never thought we'd see that, that, but you're right. We don't know. You never know what you're going to get from Kershaw. Literally, statistically speaking, when you talk about quality starts with a starting pitcher, right? Six or more innings, six or more innings, three or fewer runs, right? Yeah. He's about a 50-50 proposition when it comes to a quality start in the postseason. But that was above and beyond, right? I mean, to go a third of an inning, I, I, that that was – the D-backs, Luke, that was, that was an historical – 
collective bludgeoning. And what I mean by collective bludgeoning, get this little nugget. The D-backs were the first team in the history of Major League Baseball in the postseason to have eight players in a lineup have at least one extra base hit in a nine-inning game. Think about that. A top-to-bottom lineup bludgeoning of a baseball team. No team in Major League Baseball history did what the D-backs did that night in the playoffs. So we talked about this series, and we had to do predictions last week. And my prediction was that the Diamondbacks were going to win because the Dodgers don't have any pitching. And they've won one game. So it's not we, we have to avoid falling into the trap now of, oh, they won 11-2, to two, this series is over, because it isn't. You know, and, and realistically, Clayton Kershaw's a Hall of Famer, but the Dodgers' best pitcher over the last few months is actually Bobby Miller, the rookie who's going tonight. Uh, so this series is far from over. But as much as I thought the Dodgers don't have pitching, because they don't by their typical – they don't have World Series caliber pitching this year. It doesn't mean they can't pull it together because they have World Series caliber hitting. I would have never, ever believed that Clayton Kershaw would get chased in the first third of that – first third of an inning of that game. I was in Tucson for the Coyotes preseason game, and it ended, right? And we're a bunch of people are still right, and I'm just sitting there watching the game, watching the first inning, and I'm like, okay, how are we going to navigate this? Like, I'm recording it when I get home. I, you know, I'm driving with other people who listen on the way back. It was it was 9 nothing before we left. <laughs> it was the least dramatic D-backs win over the Dodgers in a playoff game ever. It was the least dramatic, dramatic D-backs playoff win ever. It was like, oh, okay, they got this. I mean, yeah, nine, six nothing after the first, nine nothing after the second. You talked about their offense, right? I mean, they they certainly have the two best offensive players in the series. Although Corbin Carroll certainly making that debate uh, interesting, but Betts and Freeman don't have a hit in the game. I mean, so those guys were completely neutralized. And Tommy Pham, you know, for four for five in the game. I mean, that's one of the better performances in postseason history for the franchise. Uh, I don't. I'm not, in fact, I'm not sure anybody's had four hits in a postseason game uh, before in the history of the D-backs in the postseason. So, yeah, I mean, what the D-backs did in one game. Now, of course, it's just one game, and you got a chance now uh, to really put the D, uh, the Dodgers on life support uh, in Game Two tonight behind uh, Zach Allen. It's interesting, Luke. The D-backs, Tori Lavello. You know, the famous quote now, a connected team is a mm-hmm. dangerous team. Look, this is also not only a connected team. This is a very confident team right now. I think the two comebacks in Milwaukee have the D-backs right now thinking uh, that they are uh, not invincible, but this is a team right now that is brimming with confidence. So now, now not only do you have to not come back in a game, I mean, you get out of the gate up 6 nothing, up 9 nothing uh, against arguably one of the better teams in baseball. It's funny, you know, Torrey's playing the no respect card. Mm-hmm. And he, he's riding that horse. And Zach Gallen even joked about it. He goes, you know, Michael Jordan kind of made up stuff to find motivation. Yeah. Kind of hinting <laughs> that hinting that Torrey's almost making up this no respect card to find motivation for his baseball team. But it's working. And I'm not sure where the D-backs are getting the no respect card from. I mean, have, have people in that, somebody, what they may have picked the Brewers to win this series. But whatever the case may be, Tory's playing that card, and he's riding that horse, and if it's working, fantastic, they were the, great. Continue to play it. They were the biggest underdogs in just in terms of series matchups uh, on FanDuel and everywhere going into the NLDS. I think they were like plus 190 against the Dodgers, but we are seeing – we've seen this before in baseball. We're seeing it this year. I mean, Texas is up 2-0 in their series. They were, they were a wild card team. Uh, the Phillies look borderline unstoppable. They were a wild card team. The Diamondbacks, if you, if you just – if the – if you knew nothing else all season, if you're just like, here we go, the, the season started with the playoffs, the Diamondbacks are starting to look unstoppable, and they were obviously a wild-card team. 
all of that stuff, you know, like you said, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, it absolutely can still matter. And if the Dodgers win tonight, you got a real series on your hands because then you got Brandon Fott probably going out there in game three and you could be up against the wall going into game four. So I'm not trying to say this is over, but the having those guys that, yeah, these guys are great over 162 games and Freeman's great pretty much every game and typically Betts is too. When it's a short series, if the other team's hot or if your pitcher gives up <laughs> you know, all the runs that Kershaw did, it doesn't matter. This is not a best of 37 series. It's a best of five. That's why this is very winnable. No, and if you win tonight, I mean, the Dodgers are, are I mean, they are on life support, obviously. And I, I talked about Freeman and Betts being, you know, the two best offensive players in this series. But lo and behold, right now, Corbin Carroll, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. He leads all postseason players in yeah. runs, hits, total bases. He's second in homers and second in RBIs. So, uh, that, that's where Corbin Carroll is, is is at right now, offensively speaking. So, you know, it's funny, Luke, real quick, we talked to Buster only on Friday, and, and I brought this up to him, and, you know, we kind of we, we chewed on it back and forth. You can see it doesn't always play out this way. But historically speaking, we've seen this before with the wildcard teams that had a scratch and claw to get in. Mm-hmm. And the D-backs have basically been in kind of playoff mode psychologically all of September even to a certain extent after that 32-game stretch where they really, the bottom fell out. Really since late August, they've been in desperation, winner-go-home winner mode for about the last six weeks of the season, whereas the Dodgers have been kind of in cruise control for about that same amount of time. Yeah. And so the mentality of the two teams coming in where the Dodgers are sitting home waiting for the wild card series to wrap up, the D-backs go to Milwaukee, they come from behind, they scratch and claw, they win a couple games. So the mentality and the disposition of the two baseball teams going into game one, completely different. And the D-backs were the team that kind of had the, the we're rolling mentality and the Dodgers just absolutely got waylaid by a Mack truck in game one right out of the gate. And it looked like two teams that came in with very dis- different dispositions. It, it did. And it now, played out that way. And, and played out even a little bit more here before we hit the break. I mean, the Diamondbacks are absolutely fully in. We got nothing to lose mode. We, they're, they're the nobody believes in us. We got yes. nothing to lose. The flip side to that is, look, this is not a shot at the Dodgers, who are a consistently successful regular season team. And they did win the World Series a couple years ago. But I'm sure in L.A., especially if the Diamondbacks win tonight, it's going to be, oh, here we go again. It's the playoffs. The Dodgers are great in the regular season. They lose in the playoffs. I'm not saying that yet, but I'm sure in L.A. that's a narrative right now because that wasn't a close game on Saturday night. And and it's one thing to lose. Okay, we lost 3-2. The Diamondbacks got lucky. Now you were, that had to be embarrassing for the Dodgers. Absolutely, it had to be embarrassing. And, I mean, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But, um, let's uh, go to Tori Lovello and he just kind of talking about, you know, um, starting uh, Zach Gallen for this game that's going on right now, and amongst other things. Well, I'll do it the same way I have all year long with Zach. Um, he he consistently goes out there and, and executes a game plan at a very high level and, and competes. And that's what we've been talking about doing as a group, just going out there and competing and doing our job. That's gonna be our mindset as a group, you know, specifically on Zach. It'll be me watching him and figuring out when it's time to turn it over to the bullpen and just pay close attention to how they're stacking their team and stacking their lineup, creating some matchup opportunities that will create an advantage for us once I start to maneuver into the bullpen. So it'll be the same the same math equation that I followed all times, but it feels very good. 
And, you know, I want our guys to stay hungry. I want our guys to stay humble and stay where they're at right now because um, they're, ready for, they're ready for the challenge of every day. Zach Gallen's one of the best pitchers in the National League. The Dodgers are a very good baseball team, and we're aware of that. So we can't just expect to walk on this field because Zach Gallen's starting and, and win the baseball game. We know that, and that's why we're here today working out because we're gonna fine tune a couple things and stay where we are and have conversations that need to be had that will prepare us for tomorrow. And I think this team has a chip on its shoulder. I think we take it personal when we when we watch some of some of the comments on television or see some read some of the things where everybody wanted to be reseeded. The Braves reseed reseed this thing so the Braves can can pick on the lowly Diamondbacks. I think I think this team takes that very personally. Hopefully people are recognizing that you can't just walk all over us. We're a good baseball team. We do things right. We do it in a very uncommon way. We care about things that other teams probably don't care about or talk about and it's showing up every single day for us absolutely it is well zach gallon how you know how do you feel you're going to be starting game uh, two you're playing right now as we speak other than the 26 guys 28 guys in that clubhouse um i don't know anyone else you know thinks that we should be here deserves you know thinks that we deserve to be here so i think yeah i think you know and the guys in the clubhouse you know know it's a good team um and I think anyone that's been following baseball knows that we're a good team, and we hit a little bit of a I guess, skid in the second half, you could call it. But, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's definitely a, a team that's probably overlooked. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think a chip on the shoulders, you know, probably a good way to summarize it. Like I said, nobody expects us really to be here. So we're kind of playing with house money, and I think you see us play our best baseball when we're playing, you know, kind of easy, carefree. Um, and I think that's just the, my, the mentality that I'm going to have out there, the mentality the other, you know, 26 guys are going to have too. I think if you look at any team, they're going to have, they're going to find a way to f create some sort of chip. Um, you know, I mean, I would read stories of Michael Jordan talking about, you know, he would kind of craft things that probably never even happened just to fire him up. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you just have to find things that are going to motivate you. Um, and for us, um, you know, there's a lot of guys in there that have definitely been overlooked. I mean, going back to even, you know, Merrill Kelly. I mean, I don't think Merrill gets enough, you know, respect on what he's done in his career, especially the last two years. Um, and I think there's a lot of guys, even young guys in there, that have things to prove that, you know, some people think, oh, well, it's, you know, they hadn't been in the big leagues very long or whatever. Um, I think there's a lot of guys that are, are, are trying to prove that they belong and that, you know, they're going to be mainstays in this game for sure. Um, Merrill Kelly, uh, recently, you know, he, he was quoted, they, they put it on, uh, the, uh, Facebook of, uh, the, um, Diamondbacks and, um, I'm trying to get to it real quick. I, I just thought about it because he said, he, you know, he mentioned Merrill Kelly and, um, you know, what, what was motivating them and, and, and all that. And that they're kind of looked down and people think they shouldn't be there. And, um, you know, that they're just, they're, they're just going out there care, carefree. And that's what, uh, um, uh, Zach Allen said that he's going to be doing. Um, well, here is huh, Merrill Kelly on, you know, how his mindset going into, um, uh, Saturday's game. By the way, for me, Saturday it was watching the uh, the the um, Alabama win, watching 
uh, ASU fight and fight hard, and then and then you know wrapping it up with this. And and now, of course, being at church, I was kind of checking on my phone. I was you know not doing what you're supposed to be doing, but you know I did it anyway. But here here's Merrill Kelly on just kind of his mentality. Um, I had a gay one. He said, my dad actually missed his flight this morning. So I, I had to kind of scramble and figure that out. Even though at the time I was a little pissed, I think it might've, uh, been a good distraction for me. So thanks dad for not getting to the airport early enough. His dad did make the game by the way, but, um, so we, we, we thank Mr. Kelly, uh, for not making it to the airport in time stressing out your son he was pissed and played played focused played pissed and and well obviously the rest is history um we'll talk uh diamondbacks uh tomorrow and hopefully it's a win but next we'll talk about the suns and their win uh up next on big sky sports talk A lot of things to be frustrated about when it comes to the Cardinals. Of you know, the fact that the Bengals in their history has never beat the Cardinals in their history on the road, um, and you know to be up at one point and then or up and close and and then lose thirty four to twenty is frustrating. And then even more frustrating, you know, because the way I do my show and you guys are. No strangers to it that I try to do it chronologically. So we had ASU first, uh, then uh, we had uh, the the uh, the Diamondbacks later that that night on Saturday. They did not play on Sunday because they don't want to. Baseball doesn't want to try to compete with uh, the NFL um, playing right now. And then uh, Suns on Sunday they started an hour before the the Cardinals. They're both playing at the same time. Um, and so, well, that leaves us with the Cardinals. So, uh, you know, I hate to, you know, loser, winner, um, uh, winner, and then losers, you know, just basically bookend the show with, with two losing teams. I think that, in a way, is more frustrating than, than anything to me because I'm not leaving on a, uh, on a high note. Um, but uh, um, Bengals, they... Uh, um, lead the game with a touchdown. Jamar Chase absolutely went off uh, for um, the Bengals. Um, and then McPherson, uh, a 40-yard field goal to end the first quarter, 10 nothing. Uh, and here come the Cardinals. Um, Marquise Brown, 25-yard pass from Josh Dobbs. Uh, then Zach Ertz, 4-yard pass uh, uh, later. It's 14-10. And then um, uh, Cam Taylor Britt, uh, 11-yard interception return, and that's how the um, half ends, uh, 17-14 in favor of the um, Cincinnati Bengals. Jamar Chase, a 63-yard pass from Joe Burrow, absolutely uh, smoked him on that, 24-14. to um, And then uh, D. McCardo, he entered the game after – um, a little while that, uh, um, that, uh, duh, 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 um, that, uh, uh, goodness gracious, who am I thinking of? Connor, um, uh, and with a knee, and we never found out what the knee injury was, still don't know right now. Um, he had an 11 yard touchdown run, it's 24 to 20. 
and that's the closest they would ever get. Jamar Chase, another three-yard pass, touchdown pass, 31-20, to and McPherson on a 40-yard field goal attempt. Um, and that's that's how it would uh, end. Um, Cardinals, 15 first downs, 10 passing, 5 rushing. Um, Bengals, 27, uh, 19 passing, 7 rushing, and 1 from penalties. Um, Bengals were 5 of 14 on third down and 0 of 3 on fourth. Cardinals were 4 of 11 on third down and 0 of 3 on fourth as well. Uh, 57 total plays for 294 yards are the Cardinals with 13 drives, averaging 5.2 plays. Um, Bengals with 79 total plays, 380 yards, um, and on 12 drives, averaging 4.8. Uh, of those 380 for the Bengals, 287 were passing, um, uh, 36 of 46, uh, 5.9 yards per pass. Um, of the 294 uh, for the Cardinals, 152 was passing, 15 of 32, and 4.3 yards uh, per play. Um, interception thrown by both teams, one for the Bengals, two for the Cardinals. Uh, sacks, three, three for 14 for the Cardinals, um, and three for 30 for the Bengals. Um, 142 rushing yards for the Cardinals on 22 attempts, 6.5 per rush. Bengals had 93 yards um, with uh, 30 attempts, 3.1 per attempt. Uh, red zone efficiency, Cardinals uh, 2 of 3, Bengals 2 of 5. Penalties 4 for 40 yards. For the Bengals, two for 16. For the Cardinals, pretty well uh, disciplined. Um, unfortunately, the three turnovers are hard to go by with the two interceptions and the uh, one fumble uh, lost. Um, and then uh, Bengals only had the one turnover with the um, with the interception. Um, the special teams um, touchdown, that return, uh, was also a killer in, in favor of the Bengals. Cardinals didn't have any time of possession, 38 minutes and 10 seconds for the Bengals, 21 minutes and 50 seconds for the Cardinals. Um, and here is a uh, quick game recap um, from azcardinals.com. Knows what to do and where to be. That's why he's been so productive. Off the play fake. Dobbs on the roll with pressure in his face. And Dobbs is going to go down. Allowed just one sack last week against the 49ers. But Dax Hill was there first with Hendrickson to finish it off. Burrow. Pressure comes. Floats away. Backs the other way. And into the end zone for the touchdown. Jamar Chase, his first touchdown of the season. Three calf injury, Joe Burrow, watch. He's going to let some rush get by him, and he's just going to mosey back up into the pocket and settle. That's his magic right there, and that's when this team, okay to take a sack because you got the field going back. Evan McPherson from 40 puts three on the board for Cincinnati. Third and five to start off this second quarter. Dobbs, and it's caught by Hollywood Brown and room to run. He's got great speed and out of bounds inside the Bengals. 40, Nick Scott, who had 10 tackles a week ago, tracks him down after an 18-yard pickup. Not losing any Third down and nine from the 25. Bengals rush five. Dobbs floating, and he's got a man out there. Drops it in to Hollywood. 
Hollywood Brown. Six points for Brown, and the Cardinals are on the board. To take some of these yards away from the third down. It's Connor who spins away oh, from baby. contact and has some room to roll. Connor with his biggest run of the day by four, breaks a tackle at the 25, upended at the 15. I like concrete in there. Second and goal. Dobbs to the air, to the end zone, caught. Zach Ertz, touchdown. But his guy widened, so he knows I just got to sit in this void. Kenny Cooper too good for that. Dean's too good for that. He's undefeated. Second down, a throw. Oh, intercepted. Picked off by Cam Taylor Britt. And Cam Taylor Britt takes it to the house. Dobbs's first interception as a Cardinal is a pick six. This is who gets him. It's Hubbard popping out. He's the one who screws up that read, and he misses the throw to Pascal. On first down, Burrow with time, looking deep, looking for Chase. He's got it, and Jamar Chase on the deep ball for the touchdown. 63 yards, Burrow to Chase. Well, here goes Jamar Chase. He's going to blow the top off the defense, and they're going to hold the other side of the defense with Irwin. He splits the two defenders, turns on the Jets, and Joe Burrow and control the time of possession. 13 personnel. On first down, Di Mercado trying to stretch the outside. Broke a tackle to the five, and Di Mercado oh. to the goal line. He is in for the touchdown. And the undrafted rookie has his first NFL score. He's just going to take this thing all the way to the outside. Stay with it. Trust it. Trust it. Run through some arm tackles. Low pad level. And that's... Heats him up. Just four-man pressure. Burrow over the middle. Oh. And it's intercepted. The receiver, Irwin, fell down. And it ended up in the arms of Kayvon Wallace. It's his first NFL interception. About that interception, he was screaming at the refs, giving him an earful. Saying that that was illegal contact. Snap to Rondale Moore. He fakes it oh. to Hollywood Brown and Moore on the run. Rondale Moore, a trick play, nets a big gain down to the 25 yard line. Up top. Off the play fake. Burrow, flush to the right. Looking for the back of the end zone. It's Chase again. His third touchdown catch of the day. And he sets a new Cincinnati single-game record with his 14th catch, giving the Bengals a 30-20 lead. And Chase is going to run up and then all the way back down the back end line above the Cardinals and just follow, mirror his quarterback, and right there, oh. Still time, but Arizona's got to get to work now. Dobbs under backside pressure. The ball is out. Oh. A strip sack, and it's recovered by Sam Hubbard. Trey Hendrickson got him, knocked the ball out, 
Hubbard recovers. And the kick by McPherson from 40 is good at a 14-point lead. And audible to that play. On fourth down, Dobbs into traffic, and it's intercepted off the deflection. Jermaine Pratt with the pick. Made enough plays on offense double, double. to stretch this lead when they had to. And escape with a win. Huge win for the Bengals looking to get back on track. And the Cardinals will just run this one out knowing they're not coming back in this one. And Zach Taylor and the Bengals, they came to the desert. And that's where we'll stop it. I don't know why it does that. It's done, done that a couple of times, and who knows what the heck is going on. Uh, there's a couple things to like. Um, you know, the, the things you don't like it and that, you know, Josh Dobbs would like to have back is the interceptions. Um, you know, two of them that game instead, and instead of earlier in the sea, uh, up to that point, he had none. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, the, the great, uh, running from, um, you know, Rondell Moore and out of the backfield, that's, you know, two weeks in a row or that he's had some uh, big runs out of the backfield. Um, James Connor until he went down. So a lot of things to like. But uh, uh, JG, um, after the game, how do you, how are you feeling? When, when James got hurt, I mean, I know it's next man up, but it, it felt like that impacted you guys offensively. Yeah, I, I actually thought Amari came in and played well. Um, had had a couple runs in there, but honestly, you know. Obviously, when you lose one of your best players, that hurts. But we gotta, you know, carry the load for him. I thought Amari did did a good job. What happened with James, and how's he feeling? I think he's feeling okay. I think he went on that long run. Uh, might have got his foot stuck in the ground there. Might have twisted his knee up. So we'll see tomorrow. You guys have been resilient all year, but does that change from start having? Yeah, I mean, I think what did we lose the takeaway belly three one. You know, it's just a hard way to go. Um, you know, we got to do a better job execution-wise, protecting the football. That's all 11. Um, and uh, we got to get that cleaned up because if you're playing, the, if you're losing the takeaway battle, our guys know that's a winning stat and you're not going to win a lot of games. How important is it to start fast in general that today? How did that starting fast kind of affect it? Yeah, we got behind the eight ball a little bit. You know, they went all the way down the field, scored. We go three and out, and they went all the way down the field again. I think they kicked a field goal. Um, so we're spotting them 10 points right there. But... You know, a play here or there, give them credit. They made some plays. They got good players. And then I felt like we got back in the game. We started rolling a little bit. Um, you know, defense then forced a couple first forced a couple punts. Offense scored some points, got back into it there, had the, the goal line stand there. And then they, I think they had the pick six, so lost a little momentum there. Um, but, you know, just any time um, I think that when you're playing spotting a team points, um, that affects play calling on all three sides, and not to say that you got to you got to be able to come from behind, and and that's early in the game too. But um, yeah, we have to make sure that uh, we're not spotting teams' points, which we've done the last two weeks now. Third, Dobbs goes for on fourth. I think everyone knew you were going to go for it in that mm -hmm. situation because of the scores. Uh, but if you convert there and get a touchdown, what would we doing right now? Well, I mean, we'll never know. I don't live in the past. You know, that's a good, good question. They made a good play. I like the call. They made a good play. Stopped us. Was the, uh, was the switch from Clark to Hamilton a matchup thing, or is that? A little bit of both. Is that the same, but is 
decision to have Marco travel? Because that seemed like the first time this season. To yeah, yeah, we uh, and you know that I think you know it seemed like he caught a lot of balls today for a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns. So obviously, as a, a, a defensive staff, myself being the leader of that, we didn't do enough on that side. You can't let their best player beat you, and that's what we just did. So that falls solely on me, um, and we can't let that happen again. So point blank, there's the game on defense. You let their best player beat you. I'm pissed off about it. It's my fault. And uh, we got to get that cleaned up. How much did the loss of JT, though, hurt that situation? I mean, a little bit. But guys, you know, that's the NFL. You know, you watch games. There's guys going in and out of lineup. You know what I mean? Where, you know, I think JT got nicked there. Um, Hamilton got nicked, but then returned, I think. So we had some new guys playing, but you got to step up and you got to you've got to play and execute. So and it's our job to put them in the right positions um, and help them out. You mentioned liking the, the call on that fourth and one. Yeah. Did you consider the push play? That's working. Yeah, well. yeah, that's a good question, um, Howard. I thought it was too long for the push play. I th- it looked like a, almost two to me. Probably a yard and a half it was. I don't exactly know. I walked down there and looked. Yes, we would. Uh, we got some other things on, you know, third and fourth and one too. But thought it was too long for that there. Damian Williams could be an option for you next week. We'll see. We'll see. Everyone in the building's an option. What is the issue in the, in the secondary? When you look at uh, we got coach better. That's the issue. He uh, almost let one slip on an f bomb there. You know, he's like, it's in like. My fault, you know. It if you saw his, the way his mouth is almost uh, started with an F. <laughs> um, pretty aggravated with uh, Jamar Chase going going off, um, and I like it. I like a coach that owns it, and he owns it a lot. He owns it a lot. Uh, Josh Dobbs, you had two interceptions, a uh, couple of good things. Uh, how how you feel after the game? You guys have been resilient all year, but how much does like turnovers change that? Yeah, you know, um, turnovers are tough. We talk, we take pride in taking care of the football, and um, you know, both of those are on me. You know, especially, you know, you're about to go into the lead, go into the half with the lead um, in that area of the field, right? Like, I got to be extremely smart and take care of the football, like no matter what the circumstance is. So, um, yeah, that's tough. You give them a cheap one going into the half, and then you know, the fourth down one, we gotta we gotta make a play. Um, but obviously, you know, the fumble um, to start off a drive, and we felt like, you know, we go down and score a touchdown there. It's a three-point, four-point game, and um, anyone's game from there, yeah, they're tough. They're tough. So we take pride um, in taking care of the football and the offense. It really starts there. You know, as we've seen throughout the season, when we take care of the football, we give ourselves a chance, and we're in game. So um, that's going to be a big point of emphasis pushing for it. For Hollywood or Pascal? Yeah, the ball was intended for Hollywood. Um, he, he ran a slant. He was getting in there. So um, probably a tight, tight window, obviously. And so I can't make that decision with the ball. Um, I got to keep the ball safe, especially heightened awareness in that area of the field. And so we'll fix it. Uh, we'll take care of the football, and we'll be better. You guys get off to a faster start than what you're going to do today. Yeah, um, I think that starts with me. You know, um, two, three analysis to to start the game is really not our standard at all in offense. As I've said, you know, when we show up and we uh, we're locked in and executing to start games, man, we start fast. And that's what we felt like we had the opportunity to do today. You know, I, I got to be cleaner to start the game. Uh, taking a sack on second play of the game, you know, putting us behind the sticks is tough to overcome. Um, and then missing Hollywood down the sideline when he ran a great route is also a missed opportunity. So um, it's on me 
to get us starting faster, clean execution to start the game, and I think that will set us up for more success throughout the game. Nothing changes. Like as we saw, like I thought the response was extremely well um, by the offense. You know, you're down to nothing. No one blinks. No one flinches. You go down, you execute, and you score two touchdowns in the blink of an eye. And that's the expectation that we expect really on every drive. Like the opportunities are there. Um, the plays are there. Like we know the defense across from us is going to make plays. We're not oblivious to that. But when the opportunities are there, man, we got to capitalize, um, starting with myself to set the tempo to start the game. And then that will echo throughout the offense. I know your order's not supposed to change if when a player goes out. But did something change when, when James gets hurt? Obviously, James was a great runner and a great part of our offense. Um, but I thought Amari stepped in and did a tremendous job, man. Like, they score um, to start the third quarter, and uh, we, we get the ball in space, got guys making plays, and then you hand the ball off to Amari three times, and he puts the ball in the end zone. So he stepped up well in that aspect of picking up the running game. I know he's um, been emphasized in the past game a little bit more thus far, but that was huge to see him come in and step in. Um, obviously, for him to get his first touchdown, which I know was a good feeling for him, but also then for um, him also to be really good in protection and everything. So yeah, obviously, you know, when you lose James, that's tough. But I thought the again the response by Amari to step in and take on a bigger role and not flinch was really good. You're right there at the end of the third quarter, four point game, but you've been outscored as a team fifty four to seven in the fourth quarter. How much are you anxious to flip that script offensively and Yeah, I mean we're we're anxious to do that, man. Like games in NFL come down to fourth quarter execution. Obviously, you know, first, second, third quarter quarter execution is important but fourth quarter execution is critical man like when you have the ball in your hands you want to go down score um execute play at a high level so it was frustrating um especially as the quarterback of the offense for us not to do that like we had the ball in our hands two possession game opportunity to make it a one possession game and we didn't execute so uh, we are anxious to flip that script and we will flip the script we had a um, we already pointed out ways to improve and get better and um, in addition to protecting the football, man, like crunch time execution will be at the top of our list. You mentioned being, <coughs> excuse me, being frustrated. Was this a particularly frustrating game for you? It seemed maybe a little, some of the high passes, is, was that frustrating from your standpoint? Um, I don't, like, I think, like, at the end of the game, obviously, when, um, you know, windows are tight, you're trying to, trying to fit it in there, you know, give give our guys an opportunity to go up and make a play, which they've shown the willingness to do that. So, no, that wasn't that wasn't part of it, man. Just overall execution to start the game on those nitty-gritty plays, man, like fourth and one on the opposing team's 20-yard uh, line, we feel like we should execute and, and get that first down, you know. And so it's just like those those little plays, man, that have such a huge impact on, on a game. Uh, we, we need to come out on the other side of those, come out victorious on those plays, and that will change the, the overall um, score of the game. All right, well, that's everything, D-backs, and that's everything for the show. Um, Zach Allen is still pitching. He did give up a solo shot to J.D. Martinez in the bottom of the fourth, and right now there are runners on the corners with two outs, um, and uh, um, the Dodgers are trying to uh, – uh, take the lead or, or at least even it up. Diamondbacks still winning right now. Uh, three, three to one. I'm going to get off here. I'm not even going to do my normal clothes. Uh, you know, please share the show, like, follow, comment, and share. Um, we, wherever we're, uh, tick, uh, we're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Um, 
um, YouTube. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. I'm trying to watch the game. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not giving you my all at the end of right here. Um, uh, Spotify, Google, Apple, all of it. So I appreciate you guys. And until tomorrow, hopefully we are talking a D-backs uh, win um, I'm, I'm hopeful they got that lead right now. And, uh, so hopefully we're talking one. I appreciate you guys. Um, and, uh, that's it.